This is John Snyder for Theology Mix. Welcome to The Walk. I'm very happy to have Dr. Thaddeus J. Williams on our show today to talk about his faith story and what it means to mirror the greatest figure in history. Thaddeus serves as Associate Professor of Systematic Theology at Biola University's Talbot School of Theology and Affiliate Faculty of Jurisprudence at Trinity Law School. I was raised in a Mormon household until I was about five years old, so I don't have too many vivid memories of Mormonism other than smuggling my Star Wars action figures into church on Sunday and having some epic lightsaber duels. Uh, But my parents met a woman who loved theology and loved my parents enough to explain the difference between the Mormon Jesus and the biblical Jesus. Uh, So they got saved when I was five, and I kind of went along with it and went through the motions, but it was my parents' faith until I was 14 and started asking life's big questions. Why roll out of bed in the morning? Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? And hit a point of existential angst, you could say, and despair. And my parents invited me to a church service where I heard the same gospel. I could have recited verbatim, but that night at 14 years old, the Holy Spirit flipped the on switch in me and regenerated my dead heart. And I could hear the gospel for the first time. Uh, and so responded. And that was, what, 25 years ago now. And so early on, I had a sense of the gospel is the best news in the universe. I want my time on planet Earth to be spent uh, shouting that from the rooftops however I can. And so over the years, that turned into uh, doing apologetics, doing theology, uh, teaching, preaching, traveling the world. Uh, What it looks like now is serving as affiliate faculty of law at Trinity Law School and showing what the lordship of Jesus looks like in law and politics. Uh, And my full-time professor job at Biola University teaching systematic theology and trying to turn students on to uh, the gospel and the hugeness of God every semester. Okay. Sounds like you have plenty to do. You're a busy, yeah. <laughs> busy person. <laughs> well, I've been looking a little bit at your uh, your CV here. It's pretty impressive, and and I'd like to Thank spend you. more time talking about that. Uh, maybe on a second interview. Uh, let me just get to the book itself. Uh, it's, it's called "Reflect: Becoming Yourself by Mirroring Greatest Person in History." Um, let's say that uh, you're standing on a corner waiting for a bus, and there's a man next to you who doesn't know anything about theology. He finds out you're right. You've written a book, and he says, "What's what's the main point?" Yeah, the the bottom line is everybody worships. I would say we're we're on our knees. We're all on our knees to something. It could be a spouse. It could be your kids. It could be job status. It could be a fat bank account. It could be a political ideology. Um, it could be name brands. We're we're chronic worshippers. We can't help it, and the Bible goes further and says in Psalm 115 that we become like what we worship. So 
In the ancient context, if you're bowing down to a rock, as they did, they would bow down down to stone idols, you become as dumb and heartless as a rock. If you worship your spouse, you become your spouse's clone. You worship your kids, you become childish. You worship a product, you become as soulless and artificial and manufactured and phony as a product. And so this book is about if we, what happens if we worship Jesus, not just say we worship Jesus, but if we really worship him, how is that going to shape us? How are we going to become like him intellectually, emotionally, in our relationships, in the way we, we help others, in our creative lives, in our imaginations? And the bottom line is there's nothing else in the entire universe that you could worship that can more expand and enlarge your soul than Jesus can. Okay. I think you just sold a book to the guy waiting for the bus. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) You know, there's so many things. Maybe I can upsell him. (laughs) Maybe I can upsell him with the study. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I could ask you so many questions looking at the the things you usually talk about. So let me start off with a few. Um, Yeah. What do you think, uh, from your travels around, your presence in America, I, I haven't been in the U.S. for two years, and I've been here for four. Uh, but I keep okay. I try to keep track of what's happening there, and uh, a lot of it's pretty interesting, and a lot of it's pretty frightening. What would you say the core issue or problem for American society is right now? Yeah, I, I really think it's uh, the same issue that just manifests in, in different ways, which in short is a small view of God. Um, or, or you might say we're too horizontal and not vertical enough. And so what I mean is American society at large is, let let me borrow a bit from a Canadian philosopher here, Charles Taylor in his 800 page tome, uh, the secular age. He says the defining mark of our day is, what he calls the imminent frame, which is the idea that the universe, the way to make sense out of life is by looking at things that are inside the box of the universe. And so we look at um, ethnicity, we look at gender, we look at economic status, we look at sexual orientation, we look at political affiliation. Um, we, we look at all these inside the box, inside the universe categories to make sense of everything else inside the box. Uh, well, well, a biblical worldview opens up the top of the box. It, it gives us a vision from beyond the imminent frame. It tells us how God defines us. And, and so I see the biggest problem in American society now is how close the box is means we have no other way to define each other than by categories inside the box. And so that means you have a whole lot of uh, intertribal warfare, a whole lot of uh, polarization, a whole lot of uh, groupthink, a whole lot of categorizing people and pitting them against each other in these kind of ideological tribes. And that is something the church in America, as I see it, is we're, we're kind of chameleons and we're taking on a lot of those colors. And so I see, and this is really what a lot of my book is up to is opening up the top of the box and saying, let's start vertically instead of horizontally. Let's start with who God is as the authority, who God is as sovereign, 
who God is as a savior. And when we start there, we actually have a foundation. We have a, a way of escaping never ending tribal warfare. We have an object of worship big enough to enlarge our souls instead of um, just, just pitting everyone against everybody else. So yeah, at the end of the day, a small view of God, um, looking too horizontal, being locked to inside the box, I would say is the biggest problem in the church and in the broader culture. And a small view of ourselves, too, isn't it? Uh, box seems to be getting smaller and smaller there, from what I can tell. Yeah. Um, well, you've answered both questions then. And I'll move on to the next one. What do you think's ahead for the American church, uh, speaking specifically of the freedom of speech to communicate the gospel? I see that as um, freedom of speech in general seems to be closing down in so many ways in so many places. So what, what do you think's ahead for that? Yeah, I, I think it comes down to whether or not the church can articulate a compelling and beautiful vision of what the church has been teaching for thousands of years. So, so let me say it like this. Let me, you know, I'm a theologian. Let's, let's think about it theologically. At the very beginning of Scripture, uh, you get a distinction. You get the creator-creature distinction, which is where all good theology starts. And so you get, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's the creator-creature distinction. And then in all the days of creation, God says, uh, you know, I'm going to separate the waters above from the waters below. And at the end of that day, what does he say? He speaks of benediction. He says it's good. He separates uh, the water from the dry lands. He says it's good. Uh, he creates distinctions between, you know, flying animals, pterodactyls and parrots and creepy crawly animals, you know, the stegosaurus and the German shepherd, uh, swimming animals, the mandarin fish and the blue whale. And so God is thinking up all of these beautiful distinctions and he's calling them good. The first time in scripture you get a, a malediction or God speaking a bad word saying it's not good is on day six when he sees Adam all by himself and says it's not good for man to be alone. And then he creates woman. Uh, and it's the only day of creation that God says it's exceedingly good is how some translations render it. And so there's something about distinctions that are precious, that are beautiful, that God thought up. And so we're living in a, in a cultural moment. It wants to erase all distinctions. It wants to zero in on the, the gender distinction and say, nope, that, that's purely a social construct. We need to wipe that out. Um, and so to me, the future of the church hinges on, can we tell a beautiful story of why distinctions matter, uh, why they're beautiful and precious and shouldn't be erased willy-nilly or, or wiped out as if the only conceivable way you can see a difference between male and female is if you're a bigot or a hater or transphobic or homophobic. Uh, we, we can't play into that narrative. We have to show a, a better story, a more compelling vision of the true, the good, and the beautiful. Um, so to me, it's an open question. What the future is going to look like has a lot to do with whether the church is just going to play into the, the polarized political game or rise above it and tap into those truths that the church has been you know, proclaiming for 2,000 years. 
Well, how does a Christian um, who wants to make a difference uh, fight back, if you want to use that term, uh, against fight against these movements uh, without becoming just belligerent and self-righteous, which is so often what happens? Uh, what, uh, how do you begin that response to the world? Yeah, I, I would say we start vertically. So we start with what God says. We start with Scripture. There's a whole lot of anti-intellectualism in the church. There's a whole lot of um, putting theology in the back seat. And when we do that, we let we take our cues from the culture. And so we just play this never-ending culture war. Um, I, I would say the first thing is start with the first thing. Start with Scripture. Understand why, you know, all the hot topics of the day, whether it's abortion, whether it's the size of government, whether it's socialism versus capitalism, whether it's climate change, whether it's fill in the blank, we need to first and foremost start with how does a biblical worldview inform our approach to these issues? Uh, if we aren't starting there, then again, we're just going to take all our cues from the culture. Now, the second thing I would say is the way in which the conversation or rather the shouting match happens in this country, um, we are conditioned to be suspicious, to be resentful, to be self-righteous. We, we cultivate or, or rather pick up all of these bad habits of how to assume the worst motive in other, in other perspectives. And so I would say, Biblically, you have the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And in the, the Greek there is it's a, what's called a genitive of production, which means uh, it's fruit produced by the Spirit. And what kind of fruit does the Spirit produce? It produces love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. And so I would say the church, we need to get on our knees and say, Holy Spirit, as we engage the, the hot topics of our day, as we look at the most powder keg explosive issues, help us to be countercultural by engaging those questions lovingly and patiently and kindly. And that's, there's a reason that stuff is the fruit of the Spirit. We, in default mode, left to ourselves, we get bitter, we get self-righteous, we get resentful. And so we need to ask the Holy Spirit to generate His fruit in us so that we stand out, so that we're an alternative to, to the shouting match. So Christians should become Christians. That would be a good start, right? <laughs> yes, it's a great way of putting it. Absolutely. Uh, two more questions. Yeah, not what, chameleons. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, what would you say, uh, what's the, well, I guess also, I'll answer that question too. I was going to say, what is the key to reflecting Christ in society? I think you just answered that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and if we can do that, I think we've we've pretty much um, done what we're supposed to do as believers, don't you? Well, I would just add one thing to that, that, you know, going back to everybody worships and you become like what you worship for better or worse, um, the more we get to know Jesus in the scriptures, we see a an intellectual genius. Uh, I unpack a lot of that in the book, how Jesus isn't, isn't a pushover, he's not... Um, a, a bully. He's not, he doesn't cop out and pat people on the head and say, just believe. He knows how to engage in top level intellectual debate. 
and build an airtight logical case and, and cite evidence. And so our intellectual lives are going to grow the more we worship and mirror Jesus. Our emotional lives are going to expand. We're going to take on the, in the book, what I describe as the just sentiments or the emotions that line up with reality the way Jesus does. Uh, and so starting with him, uh, and getting to know him better in the scriptures, you become more like him as you engage the culture. I, I was wondering, um, when you first came to faith, uh, the context in which you were first raised, outside of Mormonism, I mean, uh, did you have yeah. a, a, did anybody give you a encouragement to think, to be rational, logical, reasonable, that sort of thing? Or was it uh, sort of the uh, just believe and shut up sort of thing? Uh, that, which is yeah, mine. so, yeah, by, by the grace of God, I have parents who, you know, when I confronted them in my early days as a Christian with whatever apparent Bible contradiction had rocked my world, uh, I would come to them and instead of the condescending pat on the forehead, just believe, they have a vast theological library in, in the house I was raised in. So they just said, oh, let's look at Gleason Archer's Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties and see what he has to say. And let's look at Norman Geisler's When Critics Ask and see what he has to say. And so they modeled for me a faith that doesn't run and hide from the questions, but embraces them. And so within my first year of being saved, they took me here in Southern California to an apologetics defending the faith lecture series. And I got to sit under um, Greg Kokel, Norman Geisler, uh, J.P. Moreland, who later became my mentor in graduate school and who's now my colleague at Talbot School of Theology. I had a good chat with him yesterday. All these um, great thinkers who modeled for me what it means to keep the great commandment and, and love God with my mind. Is he from uh, Oxford, by the way, J.P. Moreland? Yeah, he's a a philosopher, theologian, I think Time Magazine named him one of the top 50 living philosophers. Yeah, he was a friend of a friend. Uh, I had a friend in Oxford who was his friend. Anyway, uh, doesn't matter so much. Uh, well, well, let me ask you one more question, and this is sort of a free, free question. Anything else that you'd yep. like to uh, say uh, of your choice regarding your book and sure. anything else? Keeping first things as first things. Um, is so essential for the church in 2019 and as we, as we move into 2020. And so C.S. Lewis articulates this principle in a little essay he wrote that's just called First and Second Things. And he says, if you keep a first thing the first thing, you often get the second thing thrown in. If you make some second thing a first thing, you lose both. And, and I think that principle is underneath my reflect book. It's underneath, uh, I just finished, uh, last month, a book about social justice and all the piping hot political issues going on in the country right now in America. Um, and, and I just see this principle applies across the board when, as the Westminster catechism puts it, when glorifying and enjoying God is our first thing, it gives us the clarity to engage all the hot-button topics of the day. Uh, it means we're worshiping Jesus in a way that we'll start to reflect him. It means that as we engage questions of social justice, that we aren't taking our cues from the culture and just um, unwittingly or 
without discernment, adopting the categories that are in vogue or trending today. Um, so I, I would close with that insight. Make the first thing the first thing. What is the first thing? Who God is, how God saves. We start there, and we have a whole lot more clarity dealing with everything else. I'd like to thank Thaddeus for talking with us today. Remember to buy his book, Reflect, Becoming Yourself by Mirroring the Greatest Person in History. Available everywhere quality books are sold. Thanks to all of you for joining us in today's interview. Please watch for other upcoming shows with people you would love to know. Again, this is your host, John Snyder. Be with you again soon.